Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone listening, wherever and whenever this podcast finds you. Thanks you for tuning in, um, and welcome to the Bitcoin Weekly Wrap-Up for the 8th of November, 2019. This week's uh, Weekly Roundup is sponsored by eToro. Uh, this is a really neat platform. It lets you buy and sell Bitcoin safely and securely. They existed actually before Bitcoin even was created and offer some really, really cool tools for both newbies and experts. So say you're new to trading. If you want to just use something uh, that they call copy trading uh, on there, it actually allows you to allocate like, you know, let's just say 10% of your portfolio or 15% or 50% of your portfolio to multiple successful traders that you pick yourself out of a group of 11 million other traders on their platform. And the service automates it so that whenever they make a trade to trade an asset and rebalance their portfolio, you do too. So, you know, you could find guys that know what they're doing and then you get the benefit of their experience and they get a benefit of a small percentage of what you actually made off of them. So everybody wins. So if you actually go down to did you know crypto.com slash eToro will be in the show notes or if you're watching on YouTube, if you look right below in the show description, it'll be right down there. That's did you know crypto.com slash E-T-O-R-O and that'll actually give you 50 bucks if you use that. It's a referral, but it's mainly so that they know that, you know, you came from me and it makes them happy. It makes me happy. It makes you happy. So once again, everybody wins. Um, so let's actually look at the price. All right, sorry about that. Uh, it is at $9,237 as of the 7th of November, 2019. Uh, the first story of the day is my favorite little piggy, Mr. Craig Wright, who, if you remember back in August, came to the, we, you know, we kind of came to the conclusion of the climate trial, or so we thought, of the uh, lawsuit, I should say, of the climate estate against Craig Wright. So a quick recap was that he had, well, a quick, I guess we're not going to go all the way back, but just the case, a quick recap was that he and Dave Kleiman uh, worked together back in the day. And after uh, Craig claimed to be Satoshi, the state of the deceased Dave Kleiman, his brother Ira, sued Craig, claiming that Dave's estate was owed a portion of the Bitcoin they mined together as the team that created Bitcoin. So this is not true. But what was true is that Craig's whole shtick is not providing public proof, um, but building his claim on the fallacy of appeal to authority. He touts his multiple uh, degrees, which actually actually kind of more indicate a man that prefers legacy institutions over the new learning environments. His patents and even his attempt to copyright the Bitcoin white paper, which is a farce since all the copyright office really does uh, when a claim like that is made is they'll check to see if there's any other competing claims. Has somebody already made a claim against it or a claim, I should say, for the copyright? And if not, they just rubber stamp the request um, and they only really reopen it if a competing claim is filed. So Craig knows that Satoshi is dead. And this is why his claims and boisterousness really has increased over the years. I think he had suspicions of who it was the first time he made his claim. And when that person didn't step forward, nothing was ever said. 
you know, his suspicions started to be proved more and more correct as more time kind of passed between him making the claim and, you know, the, the, the current time period. So, you know, year out, two out, now three years out, he's fairly certain that his suspicion was actually uh, correct. So he was using the Kleiman case so that he could use a positive or even an adverse judgment in the case to say, see, the court said I'm Satoshi. But in fact, this claim is not actually what's being adjudicated. They are not, they're not making any um, judgment on whether or not that he's Satoshi. They are going forward with the with that being basically the quote unquote truth in the case, because he's saying it, the, uh, the plaintiffs, the climate estate also agrees and is saying that he is. So that's all that that's being adjudicated. Um, but the state wants it to be true. Um, since if, if he doesn't admit the actual truth, he's on the hook for a lot of, of money, $4.5 billion actually. What was actually being litigated was that Craig said, this is true. So how much does he owe Dave's estate? He said he didn't owe Dave's estate anything. He's claimed that Ira wanted to get money out of him earlier and he was just taking a principled stand and that's why they're going to court. Um, in August, sorry. I think I got a little cold coming on so my, my uh, uh, throat's quite dry. Uh, it, in August, the court ruled against him Basically, the, the the judges were just completely fed up with his antics, the double speak, the forgeries, just the outright lies. And after that ruling, they entered into a non-binding um, arbitration, whereas basically his lawyers and their lawyers met with an arbiter to hammer out a deal. So an arbiter is kind of like a judge, uh, but they when they make basically when a judge says you owe four and a half billion dollars, that's what is, you know, if you don't abide by that, you go to jail. When you go to an arbiter, they're basically there as almost like a marriage counselor and, and to help facilitate the an ability to get to a an agreement that both parties will agree to. So it just basically means both parties are acting in good faith and trying to make, uh, try to figure out how much the plaintiff, the estate, in this case, Ira Clemens, or Dave Clemens' estate and his brother Ira, um, how much they should get and and by what means they should get it. So this last week, um, actually, I think it was like on Monday, if I'm not mistaken, which would have been, uh, gosh, what, like the 3rd of, of November or of, yeah, of November. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He broke the arbitration saying that he doesn't have the means to fund the settlement, which is really strange for a man who claims that in 74 days as of the recording on the 7th of November 2019, he's going to have access to roughly $9 billion through his ridiculous tulip trust um, farce. Now, we don't know what was said in this arbitration, and perhaps the plaintiffs asked for you know payment immediately. But in his blog posts and public statements since then, he's he never mentioned that they weren't willing to wait. It wasn't like, you know, I, I went in good faith, but they said they don't want to wait till January. They want it now. And Craig's not one to like hold back and say, well, you know, this is, you know, I, I don't want to say anything until the, the, the court case is over. He's going out there and calling Ira a liar and a scammer and a scumbag, I think was the exact quote. Um, 
you know, he never said that they weren't willing to wait to this imaginary January 20th day when all these slivers of the Tulip Trust um, from his Shamir secret sharing scheme that he didn't really understand, apparently, in the way that he described it um, was not actually how it works, but whatever. So he wrote a blog post, which is just basically a verbal diarrhea of woe is me. And as I mentioned, how much Ira Kleiman was a scumbag with a dash of self-martyrdom of having to deal with so many scammers. You know, it's it's really hard to feel sorry for a guy um, that's really the, the biggest scam in Bitcoin. And it, in the future, we'll probably look back and see it, it's probably one of the most egregious scams um, as far as in terms of stealing another man's legacy in, in modern history. And Calvin Ayers, his business partner, who owns um, CoinGeek, uh, released a post on the CoinGeek News saying that he had been in negotiations, actually, to buy the climate estate. And, uh, you know, and he did this all without Craig's knowledge, which is likely BS. But uh, he had actually determined that the state had no value as the IP... He and uh, that Dave and Craig had worked on was of little value. And this is really master, you know, a very masterful obfuscation on their part. Craig claims he can't pay the settlement, while Calvin says the estate isn't worth anything. That's not the whole picture, of course. Uh, since if what Craig claims is true, and he intends to abide by what the law, remember he's always said the law is law, we abide by law, the law is law, he intends to abide by what the law is determined, which he has vociferously promoted as the best way. He's constantly said this, the best way for him to prove his claim and the truth of his identity as being Satoshi um, is through the law. Um, I don't know, it's, it's very strange, but you know, if, if Calvin was not going into negotiations for the four and a half billion Bitcoin, which uh, countering his statement that the estate had no value. They're kind of in a roundabout way, not, you know, not directly as some people have tweeted out like, oh, he obviously now he's claiming, you know, this proves that they know that it's worth nothing. They didn't specifically say, it, but it's heavy inference. Uh, they're roundabout way saying that the estate will never get that four and a half billion, whatever you want to read into that. And this, is, of course, is because there never was a tulip trust and he wasn't Satoshi. The tulip trust is just another part of this elaborate puzzle to construct a narrative and ask the burning, you know, so that people don't, when they're asking the burning question, if you're Satoshi, move those coins, that the tulip trust was how they answered that claim. When you ask, why don't you just move coins? So to say, well, they're all locked up in this tulip trust. And he's ridden that coattail for a couple of years now. So early in his claims and a now deleted blog post, he said that he would move coins and sign transactions and provide even more proof on top of that. Because, and this is quoting from that blog post that he wrote, that he deleted. And then when you go to the Wayback Machine to show what had been up there, he says, well, that's not law. That's not proof. Okay, whatever. But he said, I quote, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And the only thing close to that was two private, private proof uh, ceremonies that are, you know, he went with two different people. One of them is Gavin Andresen. I can't remember the other gentleman. And in a private setting, 
quote unquote prove to them that that he was Satoshi by signing a transaction. This is counter the very idea of Bitcoin. Bitcoin's all about trans transparency, which he constantly talks about too. So transparent ledger, that's that's why we abide by the law. We're not a anonymous dark web money or anything like that. Bitcoin's about publicly verifying, right? So the tool of trust was, like I said, created after the fact so that he would have a ready-made answer as to why he wouldn't move coins. Um, and with that Overton window shifting um, from he doesn't have any of the keys and to now, it's, uh, you know, to once it, it, um, being proven, he claims um, to have had the keys of the no. So I'm sorry, let me roll back. The Overton window of, of, of his argument is it went from I don't have any keys. Um, they're all in the tool of trust or whatever. I can't access them uh, to. Well, uh, yeah, I did actually have the keys of the first nine blocks. That's how I was able to prove it in these private proof ceremonies with Gavin and the other gentleman. But I don't have all the others because only the first nine were available after being put in the trust. And he's never explained where they put in the trust. And then some people within BSV have surmised, well, some of the uh, trustees just gave him access to nine and they had the ability to do that. So they did that. Well, it's like, why not give it all to him? It doesn't make any sense, but whatever. If this all sounds really half-assed, it's because it is. The truth requires no on-your-feet explanations uh, by him or his acolytes. You know, uh, these on-the-feet explanations by him, his supporters, his acolytes. And the truth has no inconsistencies, right? Um, they don't need to have all these stories that contradict each other. They don't need shell corps and cutouts created after the fact. Bitcoin is simple. Lies are very complex. So this to me, what's going on right now is setting up the end game, okay? As Calvin also mentioned in that article, he mentioned that the they, they said that there's 320,000 Bitcoin that Dave has, but that has uh, that the reason he's saying it has no value is because Ira overwrote Dave's hard drives that had the private keys, right? And they're lost now, is what Calvin is claiming. Dave, if you remember, was also in charge of setting up the Tulip Trust, according to Craig. So what I'm starting to get at and starting to see is I foresee a narrative being created that Dave screwed up the encryption on the private keys created for the trust. And that's why once January 20 hits, the date Craig supposedly going to get control of these keys. What he said was that it was a Shamir secret sharing scheme. And there's a bunch of people that all got these slivers of the private keys to the tulip trust that holds all these, the, 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 the 1 million Bitcoin of, of that Satoshi have. Um, and it's 1 million, like the, there were the, like exactly, it, it's very weird that it'd be an exact number, but whatever. Um, and these slivers are going out. And he claimed that in court that he didn't need to have him in any specific order. He just needed a certain amount out of, I believe, eight, like five out of eight, which is not how a Shamir scheme works, which I believe he then later went and said that he created his own version of that after the fact, mind you, when people pointed this out. Um, so I think that the story will be that some key piece of the encrypting for the Shamir secret sharing scheme 
you know, the way that these shards of the private keys were created was actually on one of these hard drives or that, uh, in fact, Dave was involved in encrypting these so that Craig still wouldn't have access to them because it, like, the, the, it just blows me away. Because if you know the private keys, if you're Satoshi, that means you had the private keys at some point. And then you, you re-encrypted them and sent them out, but you still would know the private keys or at least ostensibly, but whatever, like if you really were trying to put into trust, you would have somebody else do that and you'd set it up in a way where nobody knew what the private keys were, but whatever. Um, and I think that he's going to be saying that the shards of the private keys or the way the other ones were, were encrypted um, was corrupted or the keys were, were lost in some way by what Ira did or what Dave did. And this is why the tool of trust is inaccessible forever. Likely the negotiations, or what I surmise the negotiations by Calvin to buy the estate, were just basically a cover so that he could uncover more information on what Dave left behind. And its status, if, if things had been overwritten, or if they were still original, you know how many there were, all this kind of stuff. So they could get as much information as they could before it was public, right? So now... When they preempt this with a bunch of, oh, well, you know, this is why we can't access it. It's because of, it's because the public didn't know about it, but he did because they were doing, you know, all their lowering, st lawyering stuff with the due diligence in, in um, for this uh, um, supposed buying of the estate. It's going to be all about constructing this brand new narrative of why when January 20th hits, nothing moves. January 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. And he'll come up with some, well, I, I'm not going to do anything yet or whatever. And he'll drag it out and then he, he's going to reveal why he can't move it. That's what's going to happen. You can hold me to it. So anyways, I'm sorry this is going so long on just like the first story. So we'll just kind of power through these a little bit. Um, the next story is on another shady group, that being Stellar Lumens. So the Stellar Foundation uh, announced it was burning 50% of its $105 billion billion with a B, Stellar Lumen tokens shrinking the supply to 50 billion with 20 of that in circulation. I, I mean, if it's 105 billion down to 50, it's actually technically more than 50% or whatever. Maybe I got one of those numbers wrong. I don't think so. That That's exactly what I read. Uh, anyways, a, a bunch of crypto news companies reported a surge, a surge of 14% in price as this was announced. Um, but here's the deal. If you burn, excuse me, 50% of your tokens and you only get a 14% spike in the price at the mar of the in the market, the market is not reacting well to the long-term vibe. I mean, like you could say, well, this is going to have more longer-term impacts. And if you zoom out 10 years from now, you're going to see where, where this happened or whatever, right? You can make that claim. But crypto does not act like that. Crypto pumps and dumps quite heavily like this is not you know if this happened on wall street you could see like a like a 30 percent surge in a in, in a um, in a stock price if they were doing something along these lines right possibly what i'm saying that would be a huge issue or not a huge issue a huge story in in within within crypto it's it's not a big thing to see a 50 percent pump or more in a single day especially on a lower liquidity um i guess it's not technically lower liquidity it's not like you know something like namecoin but uh it's not bitcoin either uh it, it, in a 
medium-ish liquidity market like like Stellar, only fourteen percent, right? Um, it's it's not it's not the, the people it's, it's speculators not reacting well, and they don't see a lot of long-term viability for your project, at least in, as far as related to price, which is often correlated with perceived use and or future value. It's also good to note. If a group has the power to burn 50% of this token supply of the project that you're all in on, they also have the power to create another 50, 100, 200, 1,000% increase in that supply at a later date. Um, Bitcoin taught us that a fixed supply that is set in stone is one of the most powerful features Bitcoin created. These people just pretend like one of the problems that Bitcoin was created to counter inflation through a centralized control uh, of a currency. They treat it like it's a bug and it's not. It's a feature. Anything short of a 100% increase in price is a flop for something like this. Remember that if, let's just say you had a $1,000 gold coin, it lost 50% of its value, now worth $500. You will actually need a 100% increase in that price from $500 to get back to zero basically to that coin getting back to a thousand dollars and you being you know didn't lose uh, lost nothing gain nothing in this case if you actually cut the supply by 50 percent, you should theoretically create 100 percent more value anything short of that to me is actually a long-term loss um once again sorry guys for having to drink so much water it's just uh, it's flu season and i have a lot of kids that are in school so they are constantly bringing the petri dish of germs back to my home. Um, on to BitMEX, which I'm sure you guys probably saw this story. They screwed up big time. Through what they called an internal failure, uh, a mass email to BitMEX users put everybody's email address in the publicly viewable CC line. So CC stands for carbon copy. I know pretty much everybody knows this, but I never know my excuse me, never know my audience, but uh, it, it, just for anybody that might be uh, going like, well, what do you, you know, what does CC actually mean or whatever, but just to explain it, just kind of going Barney style. In uh, the carbon copy line, the CC line is publicly viewable, right? They should have put this in the BCC line, which is blind carbon copy. So if you are going to email uh, somebody and you know, if you put like, I, I email you, I put your name and five other people in the CC line. When I email that out, you and those five other people will see everybody's email addresses, right? If I send it to you and then blind carbon copy those five people, no one but the sender can see those addresses except for the one in the two lines. So if you really want to send it to a group, usually just kind of like email it to yourself uh, in the two line and then you BCC everybody else. BitMEX claims 22,000 daily users, but this screw-up could be much bigger as the email could have gone out to inactive users, right? Um, which would swell the affected users by, you know, unknown multiples. So why is this a problem? Well, if your real name is in the email address that you used on BitMEX or the one that you use on social media, you know, to sign in on social media profiles... Hackers, thieves, and other, <clears throat> excuse me, malcontents can basically start to track you down as a known user of Bitcoin. They know that if you are, if you were in that email list, you're, you at least had some sort of, 
brush with Bitcoin or other crypto assets, right? In Facebook, if you actually go into the settings and privacy, and you should always just like, if you guys do continue to use Facebook, which I still do because it's just keeping in contact with people, go privacy hardcore down the line. Don't share anything other than with actual friends. Don't friend people you don't really know that well and all that. But anyways, if you go into your settings, uh, unless you actually set your email to private, which I, you know, I, I have done that for a long time. But if you did not set set your email to private, and I go into BitMEX, I find your email. I just plug that in the search bar on Facebook. I find your profile. If you're, you know, really not good with your privacy, and your whole Facebook profile is publicly viewable, I might be able to find your exact address with a picture of your house in the mailbox next to it, right? So I could find your real name, your locations, uh, your family, friends, you know, and using just that, even if you set like a fake city, um, you know, even a fake name, I can look at who are the people that you like, you see all these pictures of you hanging out with this group of people. Well, they live in, you know, Winchester's in Fieldville, Iowa. Good chance that you live there too. Uh, another thing is they can start sending out, you know, scammy emails. So fake phishing emails are already going out, uh, asking people to log, log into their BitMEX accounts using fake links in there, which you go to, looks like the BitMEX site, you type it in, now they have your login information, and now they're going to be able to start stealing your Bitcoin or whatever. Um, there are more levels of security risk to this, but in the interest of time and, and just uh, kind of, this is more of a broad overview sort of uh, wrap up show. These are just like the kind of two examples that, that I led with. But if you're using exchanges, I'd really recommend, you know, creating an email address you use for nothing else but that. And it's not linked to any other social media profile, has not your name or anything like that. Um, you don't use it on anything else. Uh, for that matter, it's probably a good practice to have a bunch of email accounts not linked to any publicly available information, i.e. Facebook emails, you didn't use it on a bulletin board five years ago, anything like that. Uh, and that, you know, whether it also, whether it's, you know, for credit cards or your target store login, nothing. And this way, if any one of them are compromised, the damage is basically kind of contained. So it's a bit of work. It's really not that hard. So everybody out there, stay safe. And that's it for this week's weekly wrap up. I want to thank you for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes. Just go to my website at digitalcrypto.com and click on the Apple icon to leave a review or go to digitalcrypto.com slash platforms. Uh, if you're in YouTube, you can see it right there in the show description in the bottom. Just click that link. Please leave a five-star and a written review. That really helps. Show some love to my sponsor, eToro, who offer the best place to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin with the largest trading community, low fees, high security. And if you go over to my affiliate link at digitalcrypto.com slash eToro, you will get 50 bucks. There's some terms and conditions for minimum deposits, but you'll get 50 bucks for free that you can buy and sell and trade Bitcoin and all that kind of good stuff. And I'd like to thank you guys for listening. I'd like to thank you guys for watching on YouTube. I really do appreciate it. Feel free to reach out on any of my social media profiles. My messaging and DMs are open and I love hearing from you guys. So have a great night.